These are days of tough times and ongoing uncertainties. But in Spring Branch, we're taking tangible steps to help our local businesses by telling neighbors about PPP loans, linking them to online courses, and help from our top leaders. Spring Branch is working for businesses. Yours. Find out more at sbmd.org. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Looped In. This is the Houston Chronicle podcast all about real estate. The dirt, the deals, the people, the places, it's all here. I'm Nancy Sarnoff, real estate reporter with the Houston Chronicle. And over the last few years, we have been covering plans for a major development just south of the Texas Medical Center called TMC3. This project has been designed as a sprawling biomedical research campus, and it's planned for 37 acres between Old Spanish Trail and Braze Bayou. As of now, the property is a huge parking lot, but the ultimate goal for this land is for it to house a collection of medical buildings and commercial space, a hotel, housing, and research facilities that could amount to more than a billion dollars worth of development. Not only is this project ambitious in size and cost, but it brings together four med center institutions that have long operated, for the most part, in silos. Today on the show, my guest is Bill McKeon, president and CEO of the Texas Medical Center. Bill has been leading this project since he came to Houston to work at the TMC back in 2013 when he joined as chief operating officer. Bill McKeon, welcome to Looped In. Good morning, and it's <laughs> nice to be here, Nancy. Great to have you here. Before we get started, um, I, I just want to ask you about something that I just learned about you out, out in the hall before we sat down, and that is you have been a longtime newspaper reader, the actual physical newspaper. And when I say long time, I mean you started young. I did. I did. I was, um, I'm one of 13 children, and I didn't sleep very much, so I would get up early when it was dark out. Mm-hmm. I'd go out to the mailbox, and I'd get the Wall Street Journal. And I started to read it. Um, <laughs> and I remember, I, I always thought, why couldn't they actually have real pictures? All of the pictures were the ink sketches that have now become quite famous. Right. But um, I love the newspaper, and it's always been part of my life. Well, that's that's so great. And you were you were young. You were like kindergarten, right? Yes. Age, yeah. So where do you fall in the lineup? Of I'm 14? ninth in 13. We have Nine eight and boys and five girls, so I'm truly a middle child okay. of an incredible family. Wow. And what are the age... The age range. Well, it's almost every year from uh-huh. my oldest sister, Susan, to two sets of twins, and uh, the youngest are, are twins as well. So it's almost every year. Uh-huh. Uh, my mother, uh, Irish Catholic family, and um, it's it's a really special collection of people. Yeah, that's that's wonderful. All right. Well, thank you for indulging me. Okay, so let's talk TMC3. Can you just sort of provide a broad overview of the project, what it is, and why you've been spending so much time on it. Sure. So what has the, what has been typical over the 75 years of the Texas Medical Center and what makes it so special and why it's become the largest medical city in the world, unlike other cities where hospitals may grow and appear, they're fragmented across the city, whether that be Boston or Chicago or New York. And what was unique about the Texas Medical Center is that we had the opportunity when we built the Houston Channel, um, it really moved commerce from Galveston here to Houston. And we didn't have the medical apparatus to support 
the fastest growing city in the country. So when building the Texas Medical Center, we set out a large parcel of land, and now that's grown to be over 1,400 acres. And it's truly what's special about it is every asset on those 1,400 acres are dedicated to health education and research, and it has become a marvel of the world. Mm -hmm. And so TMC3 is on this land just south of that main core. That's correct. And when you think about what most people think of historically of the Texas Medical Center, that is now our northern district. And that's really where most of the hospitals are, what you call it the clinical sphere. And then there is um, the TMC3 is actually going to be located in the central district. And if you reach down below Old Spanish Trail, there's another 90 acres of UT land that has become a lot of the research uh, centers for the the UT system. Mm -hmm. So we're really landlocked on the north side of the campus. There's no other land to develop. It, It carries an architecture of the past where we didn't really respect green space. We didn't really, we have a lot of tall buildings and a lot of concrete and not much work, live, and play environment. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a food desert. And so we have the opportunity now to get it right. And we had a large parcel of land and four member institutions approached at the same time, Baylor College of Medicine, Texas A&M, uh, MD Anderson, and UT Health. And we asked them, instead of doing things separately and building separately and somewhat redundant uh, research operations, why not combine efforts and build it on one single campus? The project will start with a, a main collaboration building and sort of grow from there. Sure. Right? So if you look at the 37 acres, which is now a surface parking lot, uh, we will first build out um, the TMC3 collaborative building will be at the in the heart of, of the campus. But also around that will be an industry building that TMC is building. We'll build a hotel, a conference center, several residential towers. Um, and then we'll have A&M's building, Baylor College of Medicine's building, University of Texas Health Science Center, as well as MD Anderson. So that's phase one. Those are all coming up simultaneously once we break down early next year. Okay. So like I said, we have written several stories about this project, but the latest was about the design and that an earlier design that was unveiled a year or so ago was was scrapped and now there's a new plan. Sure. Um, that earlier design was modeled after a double helix from That's a strand correct. of DNA. Is that is that right? That is correct. And I have to tell you, that was not intentional. It was quite by accident. Oh, an no. intern, when I was looking over the shoulder of an intern, the intern was looking at putting four buildings mm-hmm. in four corners of the land mm-hmm. and was looking at walking paths. How would we optimize walking paths so researchers could connect with other researchers in other buildings? And I looked over his shoulder and I said, that's a you've developed a DNA, and let's take that and and go with that. And so that was one of the four designs I presented up, and everyone overwhelmingly loved the DNA for its significance in life science, Um, and it was beautiful Mm -hmm. from an architectural standpoint, and it really stuck with the program from the original design, which was more of a stadium concept, a large DNA structure that would have the shared labs with the adjacent research buildings of each of the institutions. What was brilliant about David Manfredi when he started to look at this, he started to look beyond 
the building. And one of the things that David Manfredi understands, because he's developed great innovation centers in Boston, he's, he was behind much of the work that was done around innovation in Boston. And what he said, which was really spot on, is that it's what's most important are not the buildings, but the spaces between the buildings. And when we think about the great places that we've all been, you go to Back Bay, Boston, and you walk, and you don't need to pick a destination. You can stop at one place and have a glass of wine, stroll down and have a selection of different places for dinner, see entertainment. And that's what David understands intimately, that when we think about this campus and this new design of this DNA necklace that extends from the very north of the property all the way down and even across Old Spanish Trail to connect to UT, he really understood that now we have a whole string of parks where people can come and collide. And that's where innovation happens. It's never just in the labs. Often it happens over a glass of wine or running with a colleague during lunchtime. And now we've really created this 37-acre park that will really uh, create this promenade for people to come and the public. This is not for our researchers. We've designed this intentionally for Houstonians and people to come to visit at night and really make it uh, fully activated through the days and the evenings and on weekends. The Texas Medical Center has always been the public's. It has always been, as Barbara Bush said, Houston's gift to the world. And we, we really are proud of that. And when you see Houstonians that really know the medical center, it's not a building, it's a place mm -hmm. to go to. And now we're really designing this place to really welcome in the community and, and host them mm -hmm. um, for a myriad of events. So I want to talk a bit about the parks that, sure. that, will, be, that will be spread throughout this development. Initially... The plan was to have, if and correct me if I'm wrong, but the plan was to have sort of one enormous sort of elevated park. Correct. Um, James Corner Field Operations was the designer. James Corner designed the High Line in New York City. That's correct. I think everyone was really excited about that. I completely understand after you explained to me that it was sort of like a stadium. That's correct. The original design was designed by Gensler mm -hmm. Architects. And the reason I refer to it as a stadium is, like all stadiums, they're not porous. They're great when you're on the 50-yard line, but as soon as you start moving north or south of that, the value proposition of being in a stadium starts to deteriorate. And when we had a new leadership at the MD Anderson Cancer Center, Dr. Peter Pisters, he has a main campus of assets for MD Anderson, but he also has them south of Old Spanish Trail. And for him to put his buildings on the TMC3 campus would have made yet a third campus for them. Mm. And so what's brilliant about David Manfredi's design is it reaches and it extends all the way across and continues onto the UT campus. And it was just immediately struck a chord with, uh, with the leaders at MD Anderson and UT Health. And now the value is not in the stadium. The value is in each DNA link along this strand. Mm-hmm. We've also taken our retail, and instead of just having it centralized in the middle of the stadium, now it is spread throughout the entire 37 acres and across Old Spanish Trail. So you don't need to walk, you know, 800 yards to have coffee or listen to music. And now each one of those parks will play a really pivotal role 
of allowing people to connect in the day and the evenings to really uh, bring welcome the community in. And I think that's really one of those aspects that we wanted to make sure that this was designed first for people and mm -hmm. walking and second for cars. And so you'll notice in the new design, we have streets that are that run east and west. It makes it a much more porous environment. It connects across to the uh, CHI Baylor St. Luke's campus, which is also growing. And it has a walking bridge that will take you over the top of Old Spanish Trail into the UT campus. So connectivity and, and proximate value to everyone along that DNA necklace is really important. And it's also bordered by Braze Bayou. It is. And so is there going to be connectivity to Braze Bayou? Of course. And one of the great opportunities at Braze Bayou is connecting into the Greenway. The park system and the brilliant work that's happened to this city over the last 100 years, and it's one of the jewels of this city that many people don't recognize, has been all the work that we've done to connect the parks and extend the Greenway. Well, that exists right there across uh, the bio. Mm -hmm. And so we will be connecting so that people on bike or running can run right across and not be impeded. So we're going to add the bridges across to connect into that green system. Okay. And I know that the parking is going to be underground. That's correct. And so I was actually looking at some of the comments on one of the stories that we wrote and they a, a commenter, which you never really want to read the commenters, but every once in a while, if I have a free minute, I will sure. do. And uh, this commenter said, uh, underground parking next to the bayou, that doesn't sound like a great idea. And it just made me think, are we ready for this kind of density in light of what we've been seeing with flooding? Sure. And I know that this this is a parking lot, so it's not like it was an open field, field. Right. but um, with all, all of the strains that Houston is facing, parking, sure. flooding, and what are your thoughts on that? Yes, it's a natural concern. Anytime that you put uh, parking below ground, it's always a, one thing you have to assume the worst conditions, and you, we are near a bio. And um, we also study that bio. We probably know more about that bio than anyone because we study it. We have cameras on it. We have sensors on it. And every time it rises up a foot, we're responsible for shutting down the, the entire medical center and, sh and putting the submarine doors in place. And we saw the great success we had. Allison was devastating to us. Mm -hmm. We made huge investments and put submarine doors around all of our hospitals and our parking garages. And when Harvey came, there were cars floating down our streets and every one of our hospitals was operational. Not one of them was affected by Harvey. Oh, they remained operational. So the city, yes, we became kind of cut off from the rest of the city and those are challenges. So we're, we're very well aware of water and the threat that it places to our assets. Um, what people may not recognize is actually the land actually in, increases. So the streets and all of that that we're building on this land will actually rise up almost a half story above the edge of the perimeter of our, our area. So not only do we have that, but we also have tremendous pumping systems mm -hmm. in there to move water. Um, there's much new standards about detention and how we handle water when you build out, much higher standards. And so we even have, take the water for the entire campus and we move it into storage tanks so that we can allow the bio to swell and fill and we don't need to pour water to it. And once, it's, once the water subsides, we can then move 
the the water into it. So we've planned for the worst situation here. You have to assume the worst when you think about this is Texas, it's clay, and it holds mm-hmm. water really well. Flash floods are a common uh, a common place for us. So um, we're planned, uh, we're well prepared for, mm-hmm. for that in the event of, of flooding. Okay. And I wanted to talk a little bit more about what will go on in some of these buildings. Because a lot of these, well, all of these institutions have research facilities already. What will make this different? What is it to them? Why do they want to be right. here? It's a great question. Um, many people don't realize when you drive through the medical center, the reason you don't see signs of Johnson & Johnson and GSK and um, other great industry leaders in pharmaceutical or medical devices, because we prohibit it. The covenants for all of the land that we've had through these 75 years, when we give it to a member, we give it to them for a dollar a year for 99 years, renewable one time. And with that come our covenants. And on those covenants, they forbid for-profit use of the land. Now, that's great in the sense that it kept for-profit hospitals out, it allowed the the not-for-profits to work closely together. But where it didn't help us was we really kept industry away. Now, historically, that wasn't a problem because most industry would do their work on their own campuses. But now that's completely changed. Now, those those, uh, industries, whether they be pharmaceutical or med device, they're doing that work on the front lines. And the front lines are in the hospitals where we treat patients, um, in the research centers where we can really test things quickly, fast fail and fast succeed. So that's moved us much closer. And if you see other cities around the country, like Boston, San Francisco, you see much more impact of industry side by side with the major academic centers. So TMC3 land is very different because we went to our board and they revised and restated the covenants for this property and the Nabisco Cookie Factory, where we have our Innovation Institute. Mm -hmm. Now in those areas, we can bring industry in and they can sit side by side by our researchers. So that's never been an opportunity for our our research community. We do more research on our campus than anywhere in the United States. So that's a huge opportunity for industry partners to actually now come side by side on a campus where they can bring their scientists to work side by side by ours. So that's the first ever in our 75-year history, and that's what's so exciting about this campus. So TMC3, why the three? TMC3, I was on this campus maybe two, two months into my job, and there was an opportunity to maybe do things together in a more collaborative way. So when I thought about TMC3, superscript three, it was really that concept of one plus one equals three. Can we do more together by combining efforts and not being redundant, not being competitive, but really come together? And then it really evolved into the third coast. I, um, we hear often about life science on the West Coast and the East Coast. And frankly, we're proud of our, our state, our coastal uh, position. We have the largest medical asset with more minds ever in the world dedicated to research and clinical care. And it's time that we really assumed our position as the third coast for life science. Okay. So we have these four institutions that are the founding partners. Would anyone else join? 
Oh, absolutely. And you're seeing that we're being approached already. Um, at Rice University will play a role. University of Houston will play a role. We've got really talented people in our academic centers around. So this is founding members is not an exclusive list. Mm -hmm. And uh, we expect others to, to take residence in some of those buildings and we're designing them for that. So even though individual institutions may design their buildings, we're designing ones for industry and other partners within the medical center. Um, A&M's there, but A&M partners with Methodist, Houston Methodist. So um, Rice University does a lot of work within, at the medical center. So we plan to house them in here as well. They may, may not be founding members, right. but they'll certainly be part of the fabric. And University of Houston, they are launching a medical school. They are. So I would... Which is exciting. It is. And I, I would think they would be a part of this as well. They are. And what's interesting, um, U University of Houston has had a long history of having some amazing researchers, uh, amazing medicinal chemists. As a matter of fact, if you look at the royalties that have come out of the University of Houston through discovery, um, they're, they're often top of the list of productivity from royalty, um, income from royalty. So Renew uh, Couture has done a brilliant job with the University of Houston. I've been a, a staunch supporter of, of them building a medical school to serve the under the underserved population. Mm -hmm. you know, a third of this entire community doesn't have insurance, health insurance. We do care for these people throughout all of our emergency rooms. And the more that we can bring a larger base of primary care is great for the city and it's great for our community. I wanted to ask about the partners a little bit more. Baylor, for example, has been trying to build a hospital for a long time and yes. have been unable to do so. I would assume that their priority would be to build their hospital. Why would they, you know, put that aside to do this? Um, they're not. As a matter of fact, um, their their project to build their hospital is already fully funded through their partnership with CHI. Um, so that is well underway. I've seen the designs for it, and it's moving very quickly. So it's not an either or for Baylor. Mm -hmm. um, that uh, is being financed. Remember, there was a merger, and so Common Spirits is now the largest faith-based system in the country. Um, so they, they, and they are really using Baylor and this this project as kind of their center of academics. So it's exciting for Baylor because what they do here on our campus can spread throughout the entire system. So there, it's financed. It's already underway. Mm -hmm. I've been working with their leaders, their their real estate people. So it's completely running simultaneously, only a hundred feet away mm -hmm. from their buildings on the, the TMC three campus. When this was first unveiled to the public over a year ago, there was a, a, a really exciting uh, event that you all held. It, the announcement unveiled the design, the mayor was there, the governor was there, all of the leaders of the four institutions were there. It was a, a powerhouse sure. group. Why were all the government folks there? Is the government playing a role in this? Sure. Um, I can say that both the governor, Abbott, had played a significant role in this. Remember that the governor's responsibility for the state is for the economic development of our state. And we've long been recognized as a leader in energy. We've got an incredible port. Um, we have NASA. 
the medical center and life sciences, one of those areas that was really primed for us to, to move forward. Now, it's already a tremendous economic machine. It is the Texas Medical Center alone's GDP is the eighth largest business district in the United States. That's without anything from Houston, just on our campus. Wow. So the $22 billion that are produced every year is a great economic engine for the state. But really, uh, Governor Abbott had a broader vision is now how can we really bring industry into the state? So he's been a staunch supporter. Mayor Sylvester Turner has also been a tremendous supporter. So they were there to really cheer it on. And remember that three of the five parties are state institutions, the University of Texas, uh, MD Anderson, UT Health, and Texas A&M. So state institutions and really having the support of the regions, both at UT and A&M, was essential for this to happen. I think what was different then and why now a very different design is some of the leaders, both at A&M and MD Anderson, were not in place at the time when we originally selected the original uh, stadium concept. And we really felt it's oh, it's like everything in life. If you come in late and you have to adopt someone else's plan, um, it's much difficult, much more difficult because you don't have the opportunity to impact that design. And so we did a reset, and we all looked at we had six or seven architects present to us, and Elkis Manfredi, David Manfredi, really won us all over. It was a unanimous vote because he saw so much more about this campus than a stadium or a building or four or five buildings. He saw this as really a, a really a city center of the future for the Texas Medical Center. And when he came through, before he even showed us a design, he came back with this design only six weeks after he was on the job. And it was that's the brilliance of this, that he really thought in a very different construct of how we were thinking is, oh, we're gonna be co-developing one building. He thought, how do we really embrace this and really connect to the North Campus and the South Campus and did so in this really elegant design and to take five really strong individuals that have very uh, particular needs and to come up with a design that everyone embraced, I think is really was was a stunning achievement on his behalf. Mm -hmm. So these projects are complex in a number of ways, including funding and, and financing. From what I understand, the collaborative building, the the one main building that will house all the institutions together, will be jointly funded between the Texas Medical Center and the four institutions. That's correct. Okay. Never has happened before. And as you can imagine, that's a little bit of three-dimensional chess because you have three, three state institutions and you have Baylor College of Medicine and the Texas Medical Center. What really made this work is, as you know, we don't have researchers at the Texas Medical Center. We're kind of the stewards or the umbrella organization that connect together our institutions. But we really felt, we, myself, our board, really felt by us putting money into it, one, we could make it less expensive for all of them. So we would meet and exceed uh, costs um, efficiencies that would be equal or better than they could do on their own. So that was important. We also um, 
each of those institutions have different means. Uh, they have different credit ratings. And so we created this special purpose vehicle, which basically means that we will capitalize this entire project the day that we do our financial close. So the building, the collaborative building, mm -hmm. will be paid for automatically, mm -hmm. right out of the gates. And which, what's exciting about it is when you look at the operating of this building, the building will actually run as a profit. And so it, we can use those extra funds to finance research projects. We can use it to program our parks and the events that are happening in that space. So it's pretty exciting that for the first time ever that we've got five institutions coming together to finance a building. And the reason that makes sense is that's now, think of it as almost the research clubhouse where our researchers can come together in neutral territory with industry side by side and work with them on some of the most exciting projects. And that's never been the case before. And if you think from an industry perspective, they don't want just access to MD Anderson or Baylor, or they want it into all of these institutions, including Houston Methodist and Rice University. So this gives us kind of this neutral ground in which they can all come together and share. And also, if you've seen in the design, there's also a kind of TED Talk area where we bring together research. If you look at research in the past, it used to be closed and hidden behind doors. If you go to, for example, the Broad Institute, they have an evening where the public, you can walk in right off the street and watch and listen to a genomicist talk about their next generation of discoveries. Mm -hmm. It's a much more public-facing uh, realm that we have today, and that's what we've designed here is we want those talks to be open to the public. Uh, we want industry coming together. We don't want people on different floors. We want them colliding together. And that's the design of our TMC3 collaborative building, which will be financed by all of us. And then the remaining buildings, I'm looking at a rendering right now, which I will add to our show notes. There are several of them mm -hmm. that are really beautiful, and they show a series of buildings. Um, right. And how will those be financed? Sure. So let's start on the north of the campus mm -hmm. and work our way down. On the very north of the campus, which is close to the bio, and on that campus, we will have a hotel and conference center and, and residential tower. That's being financed by our partner, Majestic Realty. They built LA Live in Los Angeles and have built great uh, properties around the world. And Ed Roski, who is the CEO of that, and John Semkin of our, our partners. And so we, TMC, will dedicate the land and they will, they will finance the building. And that's a really important asset because often when we bring in researchers from around the world or leaders, and most of our leaders are leaders of national organizations. They're the very best, and whether they be clinicians or researchers. So we don't really have a hotel for the medical center. And so this is going to be designed for that very purpose. And next to it is a 50,000 square foot conference center. Do you realize today on our 1400 acres, the largest meeting you could hold of researchers is a room about 250, that's it. All of that land and not a place to really bring people together. So having a conference center that's really designed for our researchers and clinicians is really important. As we move south, we have 
a, a space for Texas A&M. Across from that, we have an industry building spot that we've designated. So whether it be a med device company or a pharma company, they could build their, their property right there. As we move further south, really kind of midstream in the campus, you have the TMC3 Collaborative, kind of on the 50-yard line. Mm-hmm. And directly opposite of that, you have the TMC industry building, which we will build with a development partner. And that's where we'll house. We don't want in our collaborative building one dominant player to take up all the space. So they'll go across in the industry building where they could take up two or three floors. In the TMC3 collaborative building, they'd have a smaller kind of a boutique suite over there so they could work with the researchers, but no one player would dominate because we want great density and diversity of our partners, whether they be med device or pharma players or imaging players or genomics players. So that's what the nice combination at the middle of the campus is, the TMC3 Collaborative and the uh, industry building. As we move further south, we have uh, land for Baylor College of Medicine. When I think the public sees something like this, they assume, oh, wow, look at all these buildings and they're all going to go up. And, you know, before we know it, we'll have this huge campus. But these things, like I said in the beginning, are complex in a number of ways. And this is not just going to happen overnight. This is going to take for this to be done. I mean, this is your goal. This is your vision. This is not set in stone. This is not paid for. This is a grand plan for this site. That's correct. How long do you think this could could take sure. to complete everything in the original plan? Sure. And, and at what cost? I sure. know that the main building is, estimates have been around $240, 250 That's million. Correct. That's correct. Um, so if you look at it, um, I'm, I'm much more um, optimistic and on my timing because we will, we've been waiting for this and now we're unified in a plan and we meet in our boardroom every week. And this is... The CFOs, the heads of the chief operating officers, the chief legal officers, every week we meet without fail on this project. That's how important it is. So phase one will go up and in phase one will be the hotel, conference center, residential tower, Baylor building, A&M building, UT building, MD, MD Anderson's building. And we'll also have the TMC3 collaborative in the industry building. That's nine buildings that will go up in two and a half years simultaneously. So I have no doubts about that. Now, when you ask about the cost, each individual building by MD Anderson and Baylor and UT are under design right now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we have a basic estimate. So the first thing was really about we've, we have the land. And so in any great development in real estate, you know, you must first have site control. So that's the key part. And that's the advantage that we have. Unlike a lot of other cities, they'd have to try to go purchase that land or get access to it. So that, that makes this project much more uh, in a much better position. So that first part, two and a half years to build that. The other thing is that we can't plan on is we've got spaces intentionally designed for industry partners. And we're seeing more and more since this announcement, more and more industry inbound coming and saying, we want to be there. And these are the big players because they recognize this is the most exciting Petri dish of discovery in the world. Where else could any industry partner find this massive number, 120,000 people that come to work every day 
focusing on research and clinical care. And so speed to knowledge is everything to industry. So those big players are moving in quickly. And so we think that those other parcels of land will be filled quickly and, and will be built over the subsequent years. But you're right, Nancy. I look at it as saying that think of it over the next five to seven years, this thing will be fully populated out. And that will be about 5 million square feet when, when all said and done on the 37 acres. It'll be about 5 million square feet. And I think an icon to the world of, you know, you don't see many icons like this, but you'll be able to fly over this as you're going into Hobby or into George Bush International, and you'll see this. And it will be a great reflection of the 75 years that this community has dedicated to the Texas Medical Center and all of the great innovation that has come out of this medical city uh, that has really set the tone and the standard of care in so many areas of cardiovascular and cardiothoracic and neurology and now cancer with our recent Nobel Prize winner. We're just, we're just getting going. And I think that this is going to be the cornerstone for the Texas Medical Center for the next 50 years. And construction will start, you think, next year? Once Absolutely. The... Yes, we'll do financial close in the first quarter of next year, okay. and we move immediately. We are probably going to move faster than that on the parking because, as you know, we have a 3,000-car parking lot, which is 96% mm -hmm. full, and we will demolish that first. Mm -hmm. We will build the parking below it to support all of these assets. I should also mention another thing. When people often ask me, we run the largest parking uh, operation in North America, they always ask me with almost kind of a smile and ask me if I'm worried about Uber or Lyft and um, autonomous vehicles, and nothing excites me more. I would love to be blowing up parking lots and building mixed-use facilities throughout the medical center because people are, if you look at uh, the work that's been done at Rice, 50% of the people that live out in the suburbs would prefer to live in a dense, green environment. Uh, but it has to have all those elements for the millennials to really be attractive. They don't, most of the people that graduate from school don't even have licenses or even own cars, and they don't intend to. Mm -hmm. And so when we think about autonomous vehicles, one of the projects I have underway already, we've already met with a group, we're going back to meet with them next week, is we're going to start bringing autonomous vehicles into the entire Texas Medical Center. So imagine no more shuttles. We have so many shuttles. We have shuttles at the medical center. Texas Children's has shuttles. Other members have shuttles. We're gonna, we hope to rid ourselves of shuttles and really give autonomous vehicles that run throughout the medical center and take everyone to their destination. And what's exciting about the new technology is you can actually map and grid the entire 1,400 acres. And it's smart enough to know where there's people because of sensors and cameras. It sends cars to where there's more people queuing at shift changes, and it knows where to move them out of the way when they're not needed. So we, we were really excited about that because moving and connecting the North Campus to the Mid Campus to the South Campus is really important to us, and we don't want to build a lot more parking garages. We want to build enough to support the retail and some of the, the people on the area, but we are designing this campus first for walkability, first for riding bikes and running, and for people walking in, as a matter of fact, the middle of the campus, cars will not be able to travel across. That's really for delivery up to the buildings, but not across because we really want that promenade 
and those parks to be peaceful. We don't want cars racing through there. We really want it to be something that embraces the community through all hours of the day. Okay. So all the people that are parking there now, where do they go in the meantime? Well, we've already have made alternate sites. We have a lot of land. Yeah. And so um, we've got another 30-acre parking lot that's only about two blocks away, Smithlands. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, we're densifying that. We also have leased land uh, where the old Shell building used to be. And so uh, that building we've leased out for the next decade. So we can already start to move and, and redistribute that parking in a very close proximate area. And what's interesting, those lots, we always refer to them as remote lots. Those are proximate lots now. Okay. And so we hope um, with both autonomous vehicles as well as move, move, shifting some of this uh, over that we hope to reduce the amount of cars coming in and really making more spots where you could drive into really further remote spots and take autonomous vehicles into work and not really cloud, put more parking spaces available for patients. That's our top priority. And really keep employees out on remote lots and let autonomous vehicles deliver them to their respective destination. Do you have an estimate of how many spots will be built here? At um, yeah, we've looked. We've looked at two designs. I'm only starting to see the initial ones, but I'd say typically it probably about fifteen hundred to two thousand spaces. Okay. And we even look at this. I know when most people think about parking garages, particularly ones below ground, they think of dark. They think of places that you wouldn't want to go. People feel uncomfortable parking at night. We are designing the garage to be actually a service area where you drop off your laundry in in the morning and pick it up ready to go, where you come in and you park and you get on your bicycle and you ride in the morning before work and you have showers down there to really help you change in locker rooms so you go up. So we're really looking at differently. We're looking bringing light in, plants in, so it will not be your typical subterranean parking lot. Because remember, that's the first impression that you have when you come to a place and it's the last when you leave. And really taking design into those and really being thoughtful about making it feel warm and destination and and easy visibility. We're going to take stairs all the way up into the park so you'll have light coming down. So those are the innovations that you didn't see 20 years ago. It's just... Mm -hmm. It was just uh, a parking lot. Now we look at it as a way, a service area, a way to welcome people, make them feel comfortable, warm, secure in all hours of the day. So I have one last question. And it sounds like there are so many rules is not the right word, but there will need to be some sort of governing body that says, you know, you can only take up this much space in the collaboration building who is going to be that governing body or that governing CEO? It's a great question. Uh, we've already developed it. The, um, the governing document was the first thing that we worked on because you can dream a big plan, but ultimately at the end of the day, what you need to ensure is that everyone has a voice, that everyone can participate in the, in the decision-making process, and it can't be one person, even though this is T- TMC land. Um, and TMC buildings in many of the cases, it's really our, we wanted our research leaders to really work together and define what are the most exciting projects. And they're the ones with the most knowledge about defining what what technology or, or partner they want to work with. 
And so that has really been the first accomplishment was our governance agreement. So each of the CEOs, myself, along with this, uh, Dr. Peter Pisters from MD Anderson, Dr. Paul Klopman from Baylor College of Medicine, Dr. Kerry Byington from Texas A&M University, and Dr. Giuseppe Colasardo, we make up the five CEOs that have essentially are, are steering it. And then we've got an executive committee below us that operationally, so obviously you don't want to go to the CEOs to talk about changing out a gardener. Mm -hmm. So we've got really kind of layers of decision-making, some from as high as unanimous to um, different levels of things to make it more practical to run a campus. Mm -hmm. And so it's really worked out well, and we're already using that in our weekly meetings on our decision-making process. So it's really been moving well, and it's the first we've ever had to do this because everyone has their campus or their buildings, and they have their structures in place. So that was really kind of the the one of the greatest accomplishments was to get that done. I can tell you when we selected our architect, it was unanimous. When we selected our developer, Transwestern, uh, it was unanimous. And construction for the building is Vaughn. And all of those were unanimous. And it was really great to see because when you start a process like this, people are very uncomfortable. They often feel like they're losing control because they control the decisions within their ecosystem. So the real strength of the collaboration has really been that we defined a, a governance agreement. We operate according to that governance agreement. And it's been moving really quite smoothly in all of the decisions that we've made to date. And we've got now we're moving into the SD phase of the project. Okay. Well... Thank you so much for all this information. Well, thank you. I think we'll be probably meeting quite often over the next decade as each one of these great uh, um, advancements of the campus unfold. So, um, Bill McKeon, how do you feel about a lightning round? A lightning round? A lightning round. A lightning round of questions. Well, let's do it. Okay. Let's do it. Excellent. Usually I do this with someone and we take turns. And the last time I did it just by myself and it just didn't, it didn't feel like it normally does. But I think, I think you've you got and I, the capability to do this. I think we can pull this, pull okay. this off. Okay. So lightning round, I'm going to give you a, throw a series of questions at you. You got to answer lightning fast. Okay. Favorite Houston building. I don't know the name of it. But it's right down across from Gensler. It's the, the sharp towers. Pennzoil? Pennzoil. Pennzoil. Absolutely. Have you ever seen the Pennzoil building in a rainstorm? One of the most amazing things to watch how the water moves down that gorgeous architecture. No one ever remembers that this is a lightning round. Sorry. <laughs> no, Sorry. no, no. I'm kidding. I, need, I love that. You need a taser. I love that. Oh, that's a good idea. Okay. All right. Best street to walk along in Houston? Bank Street. Nice. Favorite ethnic restaurant? Saipan. Where is that? Nippon. Mm. Nippon. On Montrose? Yes. Okay. I walk to it every Friday night. Okay. Next vacation? Africa. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Favorite reality show? Don't watch them. Favorite sibling? Uh, there's <laughs> argument. Uh, my brother Michael and I are going to Scotland together, and my other 12 siblings are, are very upset, but I had to pick one of them, and he's doing hashtag fave brother. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. All right. 
Favorite neighborhood? Montrose. Yeah. That's a... My daughter went to HSPVA. Oh, okay. Yeah, which is now downtown. I know. She's brokenhearted. She was the last class to graduate from the Montrose building. Oh, well, that's neat. It is. I was actually walking through, the new, looking at the building, the, the new building downtown designed by Gensler. And it's a yeah. beautiful, beautiful yeah. design. Well, on that note, I think we'll we'll leave it there. I feel like I still have some kinks to work out on the solo lightning round, but you did an amazing job. I think I failed you. <laughs> no, no. I loved your answers. Thanks again for being here. I, I hope you enjoyed it. And listeners, I hope you had fun too. Until next time, please subscribe to Looped In on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And if you like the show, please rate a review or rate us. It helps us grow. You can check out more about our podcast and other Houston Chronicle podcasts at houstonchronicle.com slash podcasts. And if you have an idea for a show or just want to say hi, you can reach me on Facebook or Twitter. I am at nsarnoff, hashtag best podcaster ever. Ever, ever. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.